0: Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at amplifypdx.com. Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. From That Cast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PDX Executive Podcast. Here we are, 2022, I hope it is starting off well for all of you and your families. Um, as we kick off the new year, I, I'm really excited to have our next guest about a topic that I think became really prominent. I mean, it already was uh, you know, in the past couple of years about housing and here locally in, in Portland. So I'm really excited to have Nathan Wildfire, who's the founder of the Missing Middle Housing Fund. Hey, Nate, welcome. Hey, thanks, Dan. It's awesome to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. Happy yeah. New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. It's it kind of <laughs> snuck up on me, <laughs> to be honest with you. So, you know, here we are. Um, well, I would love to just kind of really get into it and, you know, talk about a little bit about the mission of the fund first. I think a good thing to define maybe first is what is the missing middle? Can you talk about this group of, you know, kind of our, our neighbors and, and, and folks and who kind of fits into that? absolutely so the missing middle is a term
1: that generally in housing and economic development circles can mean one of two things and i want to be clear when we talk about it we we mean both first the missing middle refers to income how much money you make there are folks who are uh, at a lower end of an income spectrum and in terms of their housing they generally have uh, access to subsidized housing, which is based on the amount of annual income they have. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are uh, higher income earners who generally have access to what we would call market rate housing. They can essentially afford where uh, to live in places they want to live near economic vitality. But in the middle, there's sort of everybody else, they make too much money to qualify for what's known as subsidized affordable housing. And they don't make enough to live in housing near economic opportunity. So they're they're stuck. We don't generally create housing for that missing middle. That's generally the first definition okay. of missing middle. If you want to use a HUD definition, by the way, That's 80% of area median income to about 120% of area median income. Think of uh, nurses, um, bus drivers, your barista. Uh, What we've come to learn are essential workers over the course of the pandemic. The second meaning of missing middle is generally referring to the form of housing. So you can sort of think in your mind about all the housing you've seen developed over the last few years or decades in Portland and beyond. Generally, that's apartment buildings and single-family homes. Mm. And the missing middle is this this bunch of housing opportunities uh, that are in between those two options. Maybe they're um, ADUs, the, the backyard housing. Maybe they're more traditional courtyard style housing um you know heck if you want to get real real funky you can even think of the houses that sort of float on the river right, right. They're, they're just the non-traditional everything in between and a lot of that housing was really commonly built up until probably the 50s 60s and 70s when a lot of zoning codes changed mm-hmm. and prohibited that type of housing from being built so that's a longer
0: way to say missing middle is really income based mm-hmm. and form based Make sense yeah and I appreciate that definition I think it's really important to kind of start off um talking about that and you know you, you kind of mentioned you know in the 50s the zoning laws what has traditionally kind of been done for this cohort you know of our friends and neighbors that fit into that in the past? Let's say 15 years because i've lived in portland about 15 years and I, you've been here a while we've seen the mm-hmm. city change a lot in terms of affordability and and things so i'm just curious just here locally in the metro when i say portland you know metro area um, kind of the urban growth boundary uh, i'm not sure what kind of some of the solutions that have been implemented or been floated before you started your fund the easy answer is not much yeah
1: so I've been in Portland for six years, uh, but this story is not unique to Portland. It's not unique to Oregon. I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I worked four years in Burlington, Vermont. This story is common no matter where you go. So in terms of the last couple decades, increasingly you might see some very specific projects that are built for, let's say, uh very specific segments of workers. So an employer might invest in housing for their workers. Mm-hmm. That's that's more common outside of Portland because Portland's quite frankly very expensive and complicated to build in. Mm-hmm. Um, you might see uh, what what you you would commonly think of as modular homes or um, sort of the like mobile home parks. That has been a more common uh, strategy over the last few decades to build more affordably. Uh, in some cases, you will see the really big uh, federal funding mechanisms. Typically, those are like what's known as low-income housing tax credits. Okay, These are things that that prioritize very, very low-income housing, but they would sometimes include a number of units that would qualify as middle income units because they're restricted to certain incomes. Mm. Other than that, Dan, not a lot. That's, that's sort of the problem is that yeah. um, in, y- y- you see single-family homes built and high-end apartments, and you see subsidized affordable, but because it's so expensive to build any kind of housing if you don't have a big subsidy coming from somewhere, um, the rents for lower income and middle income individuals or sales prices don't justify the high cost of building the project at all. Right. We we call that it doesn't pencil. Right, the 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 pro forma, the the spreadsheet that you're using to figure out if the costs match the revenues you'll get from the project it just doesn't work the consequence
0: we don't build it well let's talk about your fund because I you know obviously this is one of the innovative um, solutions I think so I'd love to hear just the origin story of it and then get right into it Mm -hmm. you know some of the mechanics of it let's let's start just
1: a little bit further back than the the birth of the fund so I worked for about three and a half years for the state of Oregon managing a institutional investment fund. This was a fund that invests in things like venture capital funds, angel funds, and debt funds around the state of Oregon to promote business growth. Essentially, um, creating and supporting funds in Oregon that then invest in businesses. You know, the, the point is really that you invest state dollars instead of in Wall Street in the funds that actually drive Oregon's economy. One of the things that we invested in as the state of Oregon, alongside things like Umpqua Bank, Portland State University, and a few others, was a blockchain technology accelerator. It was known as the Oregon Enterprise Blockchain Venture Studio. Very long name. Mm-hmm. But the point of that that initiative was to support blockchain enterprises and initiatives. The the my co-founder of the nonprofit, the Missing Middle Housing Fund, Jeff Gauss, was one of the creators of that blockchain accelerator. Since that time, multiple businesses have grown out of that accelerator, which the state of Oregon invested in. Mm-hmm. One of them happened to be uh, an initiative Jeff and I and a few other folks, including my colleague Peter Clark and Lindsey Nelson, um, we we started to really examine the challenge around the high costs to create housing. And initially, we thought maybe there were some blockchain solutions to that. And there still are, Dan. But as we learned more over the course of about a year, that the universe of challenges, but also innovations in housing creation just became so much more vast than we initially understood. Uh, and, and it became clear That we needed to bring some thought, some research, some investment, uh, some facilitation to efforts around innovating how housing is created in an effort to reduce costs. Mm. Big picture, Dan, over the next decade, we hope to increase Oregon's annual housing production uh, by double. We hope to double it for about half the cost and about half the time. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to return just one second to um, the the reason for doing this, yeah. uh, which is a part important part of the origin story. You no, know, we we interviewed folks all over the state, and increasingly, uh, employers would say we've had open jobs this is before the pandemic. We've had open jobs for, in some cases, two years. We can't grow because folks show up uh, to get a good job. Maybe it's Tillamook Creamery out at the coast. Maybe it's the hospitals um, that are spread throughout the the state. Maybe it's a manufacturer in Bend. And in every case, they say, we can't grow because people show up to get this job and there's nowhere to live. Or nowhere they can afford. And so they increasingly have to drive 40 minutes, an hour. Think of the cost of doing that in, in dollars and in time and quality of life. And so a really key part of an economic development strategy for the state of Oregon, quite frankly, is housing. And what's the biggest expense you or I, or most people ever make in our lives? It's the roof over our head, whether that's for sale or rent. And and so housing is not only tied to economic development across the state, but really our personal wealth and stability. It really right. starts with a home.
0: So yeah, and I, I appreciate that background and context because you know, obviously we're here in Portland. I grew up in other parts of the state and and, and smaller and it's and I've lived on the coast. And that is that has been a challenge for for decades. Right. So let's oh, yeah. talk about kind of the fund and I guess, getting really into it, the, the mechanics of it. How does it work? Um, you know, is it, has it launched? And, and kind of go from there. Sure. So we launched uh, formally uh,
1: last May. Our biggest supporters right now are Umpqua Bank and the State Treasury. Umpqua Bank uh, has long been a, you know, it's the largest bank headquartered in in Oregon. Mm-hmm. They've long been a supporter of community growth and initiatives, um, and they had been a supporter of that blockchain accelerator too. So it made sense for them to invest in innovations that reduce the cost to create housing, mm-hmm. hence community. Um, and also, you know, it. It's really critical to folks like Umpqua Bank for their employees. Um, where do they live, right? Just like everybody else. The state treasurer cares because, the, like we said earlier, the, the, the strength of Oregonians' bottom line, personal bottom lines, really begins with a, a home, right? And if you can juice the construction industry or the development industry, because, Dan, we're short about 110,000 to 130,000 units across the state. Wow. That's a lot of economic d- development activity, tax revenue, et cetera, that goes into the state coffers. So we launched in May, uh, and today is actually a really interesting day to be talking with you, um, because in November, we launched a statewide workforce housing innovation competition. We've challenged developers, contractors, product manufacturers, financers Government entities, nonprofits, to give us their most creative ideas to reduce the cost to build housing with a focus on workforce housing across the whole state. And those proposals are due today. Okay. So, uh, you know, we, <laughs> it's a little early because most of them are going to come in right at the deadline. Uh, I know that from my experience <laughs> working in government. Yeah. But by the end of our business day today, we will have proposals from across the state, and I, you know, I don't want to, um, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't want to spoil any of the folks we've spoken with. I want to give them a chance to submit. But it's been fascinating mm-hmm. to hear ideas like 3D printed houses, um, cutting red tape from a government perspective, innovative ways of doing blitz builds with contractors for uh, blitz housing blitz that build? nonprofits. Sorry, well, Blitz hear. build
0: means yeah. you build
1: it in about three yeah. days. Okay. Uh, you you bring everybody on site and it's it's a blitz. Uh, you know, a lot of the products are are pre manufactured. So it's sort of like a big wall would come off of a truck and you tilt it up, and yeah. the electricity and the plumbing are already in there and mm-hmm. sort of like Legos. You build it on site, you can build a whole house in three days. So that's a blitz
0: build. Got it. And that's so, and Sorry to not get yeah, too sidetracked to about that because I, I have read about that and you know it seems like there's a lot of future in that kind of um, – Bill, is that – I know that's just one of the concepts, but sure. has that been implemented in other kind of cities and markets you know about? Because that seems like it, something – It has. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it the one I was talking about is sort of a
1: combination of two ideas. So the first idea is what you would call uh, pre-manufactured products, um, manufactured uh, homes. So think of when you typically think of building a house, you think of a lot of hammers and nails, a lot of two by fours, drywall cut to size, right? You bring in a plumber, you bring in an electrician, you bring in your HVAC people and, and sort of it all happens over time. You can watch it. You know, you've seen those fast motion yeah. videos of like a house or a building being built. Um, pre-manufactured stuff uh, means that that's all built in a factory and and then it shows up on site like piece like Legos, like pieces of a puzzle. And everybody sort of shows up at the right time, at the right appointed moment, and you tilt up all the pieces and you you fix them together and voila, you've got a house or you've got a building. <clears throat> the second part of this concept is, really popularized by folks like Habitat for Humanity, where you get contractors or volunteers to donate their time. And instead of, you know, a, a modest number of people working on site over a prolonged period of time, it's like a beehive. You know, there's a, a many, many, many people show up on site all with very specific tasks. And instead of something taking maybe three to six months to build it happens in a manner of days or weeks so when you combine those two concepts together y- you end up with a, a very very
0: abbreviated construction schedule and that's you know time is money mm-hmm. it, well th- thanks for that again and so these applications are coming in just a date you know timestamp. today is january 6th uh, right? <laughs> yeah, make sure I get that right. <laughs> and so this will yeah. come out, you know, sh- shortly after today, but these pool of, you know, ideas and concepts come in. What's kind of the next steps? Uh, That's right. So we have a uh, a volunteer review committee.
1: Um, they are sort of the same group of people, but, but not the applicants. They're architects, they're general contractors, they are um, financiers, you, you know, folks from the universities, Essentially, anybody that has expertise in both innovation and housing creation. That group of uh, volunteers and review committee members, they are going to review all of those applications over the next month. In late January, early February, we will determine who our finalists are. Those finalists will then, in some cases be paired together. We will facilitate them meeting each other. I'll give you an example. Let's say someone comes in with a really, really innovative way to finance land acquisition. That's a very cumbersome thing to do is buying land across Oregon or securing land or leasing land. But there are people out there who are reducing the cost uh, to do that pretty radically. So Let's see, Let's say that's your innovation, right? You're just the land person. We, you don't have a construction innovation. You don't have a product innovation. You have a finance and land innovation. So we would need to pair you with innovators that do the other things. In contrast, maybe you are one of those people that creates one of the Lego pieces, right? You have a way of building really efficient, affordable bathroom kits that reduces the cost to build a bathroom. By 40%, well, that's a big deal. It doesn't mean the whole cost of the house or the apartment drops by 40%. But if you add up enough 10%, 20%, 40% cost reductions, it's very material in the end price. So we, we will match them up at the end of January, early February. In contrast, some proposals are going to be soup to nuts, right? Okay. Maybe they, uh, they know how to take a shipping container and turn it into a living unit. They 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 don't need all of the other pieces. You know they 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 kind of have their strategy mapped out, or maybe they know how to build courtyard housing for thirty percent less. Right, that's where your apartments kind of ring a courtyard. You don't see very many of those built anymore. Yeah. Um, and so those folks those those they don't need to be paired as much. We will then invite those finalists to put in final proposals. This is a lot more detail. These ones we're getting today are going to be about five pages. Okay. Um, This is a lot more detail, very specific development proposals. Some of them will come with a piece of land identified for where they want to build, and others don't show up with piece of land. So we've been working really closely with landowners in Lebanon, Oregon, to use their land as a showcase location for some of these pilot projects, if it makes sense. Yeah. Cool. So uh, late January, early February, they start their final proposals, and by late March, early April, we will choose some winners. If you win the competition, uh, you broadly you'll have three things. Number one, there's a cash prize. Uh, that Umpqua Bank is uh, supplying the bulk of the cash for that. Mm. Uh, Number two, you will be connected to so many other innovators from across the state and people who are aligned with this mission of using innovation to reduce costs, to build housing faster, cheaper, uh, more efficiently. And then number three, we become your partners in helping you actually pilot your innovation and then scaling that
0: innovation if it is indeed successful. So then I know in your background and uh, hearing where you just, you know, kind of reflected back to me and, and knowing Jeff uh, Gauss a little bit, I, that's where maybe that kind of accelerator kind of incubator partnership comes into play maybe a little bit. Is that what you're trying to inc- fold into this a little as well or? That's right. That's right. Although there's some, there's some big differences. So yeah. um,
1: Part of the appeal of an accelerator is you're in this Petri dish of innovators, right? Other people are trying to do what you are doing. They're trying to solve big, uh, entrenched, decades-old problems by thinking differently Mm -hmm. and outside the box. So that proximity to other innovators is really key and important. In housing, if you are a great developer in Klamath Falls, and you have a really good solution for building roof trusses or foundations or something like that, wh- why would you care about bringing that innovation to Hood River hmm. or Ontario or Portland? It, it, it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? The zoning is different. The regulatory environment's different. You don't have the contacts there. But theoretically, your innovation would save money in all of those places just like it does in Klamath Falls. So part of our task that the accelerator part of this is to get those people together and get them to meet each other and start sharing or commercializing or scaling whatever it is that that they have found to reduce housing costs. The 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 other weird part of this, but you know, that's a geographic kind of difference between many accelerators. The other weird part about this is that development is what I like to say long and chunky. Um, It can take years to go through a development process and build an apartment building or a home. That's a little unlike the kind of lower risk, fail fast accelerator model you and I might be accustomed to, Right, right. right? Yeah. Land development's risky, and it just takes a long time to build living units. And then at the end of the day, whether your business is successful or not, people are going to live in that thing for years. Yeah. So that's a little different, too, is that the, the time scales are longer and the, the payoff, the revenue is much, much longer and chunky. It kind of can happen in one big chunk or spread out over a really long period of time.
0: Well, Nate, you know, a couple uh, a couple of topics I'd like to tackle before we kind of wrap our time here is, you know, you, uh, thank you for tackling this big problem. Um, what I always, you know, like to look at kind of what might not happen if folks like you and are not, you know, finding solutions to this. When we look down the road, if this some of this stuff doesn't start to get uh, solved for Oregonians and just... You know, a lot of folks maybe listen to podcasts or, you know, business owners or, or leaders. You know, what's kind of the the consequences? If we...
1: Sure. I, they're not hard to find, yeah. Dan. So um, the pandemic has really highlighted our lack of housing in Oregon. Uh, it has highlighted our inability to move quickly on new strategies. Some ways that you see that our burgeoning homelessness challenge, right? When you have a lack of housing uh, resources, it doesn't take that much from a macroeconomic standpoint to see um, folks losing access to shelter and home. Uh, So that's a very glaring consequence of not having enough units period across the state for the number of people pursuing economic opportunity here. As a second really pretty obvious example is the inability of businesses to hire. Right. I used the example before of like a Tillamook Creamery. Another one is hospitals like Providence who right now are busing nurses to the coast to live in hotels for three to four days in a row hmm. versus... Uh, being able to live in towns like Seaside, Gerhart, Astoria, other others, because there's just not enough units. Period, and so this is a consequence, right? That they they either can't hire, or they're going to drastic measures to get the employees they need in the places they need them. A third consequence is uh, more rural places increasingly are seeing um, higher and higher costs for housing as people who formerly lived in urban places are increasingly seeking ur- rural places to live because of this kind of work from home move increased mm-hmm. connectivity and so a consequence of that is that um, you've seen house pressures housing price pressures and, Uh, increased levels of commuting in rural places where there weren't before.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, getting back to the business, I didn't know that you said. Wait one second. Yeah, you bet. Uh, sorry about that. I had to give
1: my mom keys.
0: Yeah. Oh, good. We're going to keep that in. That happens. (laughs) That's (laughs) no problem. That's no um, problem. Yeah. I mean, the the example you talked about Providence, busing, you know, (laughs) workers in, I, I didn't know that, um, Where, where can folks find out more about, you know, the fund and I know your application stopped today. This will come out after that, but then about you too uh, and the work you're doing.
1: Sure. So, uh, we have a website, uh, www.missingmiddlehousing.fund. We've got a a blog on there. You can find out news that we post about every week about what we're up to and our various supporters. That's mom starting the car nearby. (laughs) Um, and so that would be a place to get more information about our nonprofit. I'll remind you we're new, Dan. So we're always looking for new supporters and new partners. Um, uh, we're looking for folks to know about us. The, the universe of housing creation is pretty vast. Yeah. I'm based in Portland, uh, and I would be remiss if I did not point out the fact that, um, I'm, I'm, A lot of my inspiration for doing this work really comes from my own family. I grew up in Pittsburgh, which is a a rust belt city uh, with a tremendous amount of vacancy when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s. And um, my work there was in community development. And I got to see firsthand uh, how important it was to both individuals and families, as well as a community to see housing built and developed in the places they call home and and further dan I, I honestly i think a lot of this started with my grandmother um she worked for hud full-time in rural pennsylvania till the aid age, age of 80 wow. building housing for seniors wow. uh, and so from a really early age i was inspired by grandma right that she dedicated 80 years, essentially, of her working life. Yeah. Well, I guess more like 60, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah. 60 years of working life to providing home, a place of home for people that are often forgotten, these rural seniors in northern tier Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And so now I live in Oregon, and my job at the state for more than three years was visiting towns across the state and and trying to hear what they need and while the the challenge of housing is ubiquitous the the approaches to how we will solve a housing affordability crisis are vast Th- there will be no one approach but if we if we can find 10 Dan or 20 mm-hmm. that work and bring those to the places that need them and and share ideas share creativity create a real sense of Urgency around the innovations necessary to double our housing for half the cost and half the time in the next 10 years. I, I, I'll just think of I'll think of Grandma and I'll think of my hometown of Pittsburgh and 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 how inspiring
0: they were to my journey to try to solve this in Oregon and someday beyond. Well Nate, thanks so much for, you know, taking the time to hop on the podcast and you know I'm looking forward to, you know, in January, February seeing some of these uh concepts and ideas you pick and um you know I hope everybody checks out your site and and supports it from a business perspective too. So, thanks again.
1: Dan, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. I uh wish you and all of your listeners a happy new year and and get involved, you know. Um, find a way to talk to someone about better ways to create housing. It really ends up affecting us all. Thanks so much.
0: The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.